From WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR, this is Capital Notes, a podcast about Wisconsin politics and politicians. I'm Marty Michelson. Each week, I discuss noteworthy developments with J.R. Ross, editor of WISPolitics.com. Here's our latest conversation. So, J.R., some Republicans in the legislature want to revive the I-94 East-West project from the zoo interchange to the Marquette interchange in Milwaukee. Governor Walker didn't fund the stretch in the budget, but two Milwaukee-area Republicans last week proposed a bill that would put $25 million towards it. Walker seemed noncommittal when asked about it. So what are the chances that shovels will be turned on this part of the freeway anytime soon? Uh, If the governor stays where he is, probably not very good. Um, His argument to us when we asked about that bill was that you you have to look at in terms of priorities in the state and what needs to be done sooner. He mentioned some others, and then he also mentioned that there's there are Milwaukee leaders who oppose doing that expansion of that stretch of interstate, and there's a possibility of a lawsuit, and he worried that that would slow it down. Now, there have been other lawsuits filed about other state highway projects that have been resolved and fixed, but his argument was there's a question about it, that's a concern, there are other priorities, and he also made the comment that because, you know, if you look at the Re- reconstruction Marquette interchange, now the zoo is kind of starting near that core completion that there were a lot of orange barrels in that stretch for a long time that people want to break. So that's at least his version of things. And there's also the fact that it's a billion-dollar project, and we don't have a billion dollars right now laying around. Uh, we're already looking at, you know, how to fit things in the current f- uh, fiscal constraints that we have with, with uh, money coming in. There is the possibility of a federal infrastructure package out there, uh, but we don't know how it's going to look in the end. And we also know if Wisconsin is going to be willing to raise more revenues, either track that federal money or to pay for more state projects. Walker seemed to open the door to talking about a gas tax hike down the road, but I'm not sure he's ready to fully embrace a move like that. Speaking of shovels in the ground, we got word late last week that the village of Mount Pleasant is buying up land in Racine County to facilitate the Foxconn project. What's the significance of the purchase, and what does it mean as far as the project staying on track? Politically, it means you have tangible evidence that something is happening with this project. Um, this is always a worry for the governor's people and, and Republicans that if this project was approved, this, this you know significant state taxpayer package of incentives improved, and there was not a corresponding shovels in the ground, progress in the factory, then... Come summer, people will be asking, well, where is this thing? What's going on? So for Walker, this is a sign of, you know, that there's progress, which is good for him to say, look, this was a, a worthwhile investment. Now, Democrats are still going to question the use of that much state money for a project like this, and they're still going to knock it. But uh, I get the impression that Governor Walker's happy to see these things moving forward. Meanwhile, Governor Walker last week took his State of the State address on the road and urged members of the Wisconsin Medical Society to help him pass a series of measures that he says would help stabilize the state's health care market. They include a bill that would forbid insurance companies from denying coverage to people with pre-existing conditions and seeking a permanent waiver for the Senior Care Prescription Drug Discount Program. For years, Walker had joined the chorus of Republicans who want to repeal Obamacare, yet now he seems to be embracing some of its elements. Is this something that Walker needs to hard sell to the legislature so they'll pass these measures before lawmakers adjourn next month? In talking Republicans in the Capitol, there's a concern because they've been advocating for years now the repeal of Obamacare, 
they feel like the best way to get there is for people to see, in their words, failures of the program. And if these you know, premiums are skyrocketing, that's a piece that makes people unhappy about Obamacare. So if you kind of ease that pain somewhat, you undercut an argument for getting rid of it. So there, there's some kind of people worried about, Republicans at least, about the idea of propping up Obamacare. Now, the pushback I'm getting from others is that they're trying to sell these folks on the idea that this is not propping up Obamacare, but trying to work within the parameters of what there is under the Affordable Care Act. We'll see how that plays out, but I, it definitely the impression that's one of the bills that Walker called for that's getting some pushback right now from Republican lawmakers. Moving on to the governor's race, Governor Walker on Friday traveled the state with former Republican Governor Tommy Thompson, drumming up support for his welfare reform measures. What is the significance of the two traveling together, and how might that appeal to voters? Tommy Thompson was a very popular figure when he was governor, and obviously ran for U.S. Senate 2012, and you know had a brutal, uh, bruising campaign that didn't go very well for him. But Governor Walker is trying to make a connection between what's happening in Wisconsin now was happening in 1999 when Tommy Townsend pushed through some of these changes. He's saying we have a low unemployment rate right now, like we did in 99, that now is the time to do these things. When people are, are working, that there's an opportunity to push even more people into these jobs. We have all these open positions in Wisconsin. This is the time to act. He's trying to draw a parallel to what Tommy Thompson did, you know, 20 years ago. On another note, three Democratic candidates have replaced their campaign managers in the past week with just over six months until the August 14th primary. They include Tony Evers, Dana Wax, and Calda Royce. Is it unusual to shake up a campaign at this stage of the game, and to what do you attribute this sort of uh, reshuffling of the deck chairs? Well, some of it is, uh, there, there are different levels of changes. So like with Calda Royce, she had somebody came in that had a job to go back to and a race in Montana. So he was here kind of a temporary basis to get her off the ground. Um, Nathan Henry was the campaign manager for Tony Evers. He left. That split was more, uh, from what people tell me, kind of a bad fit in that Nathan Henry, his background is as a pollster, had went on a campaign before, and, you know, maybe it would better to have somebody else take the reins for a while. Uh, with Dana Walks's campaign, Jake Heju, um, he adopted a new son and wanted to be home with him. There's also kind of a mutually beneficial piece to that in which the walks campaign was burning through cash at a fairly high rate. So if you have somebody who wants to be home rather than working on that job, it offers an opportunity to slim down the staff. So they're, they're each kind of different. But what we're overall seeing is there is a struggle right now among Democrats in the government's race to raise money. Uh, they're also burning through cash, some of them at least, like walks, Amy Gronick, Tony Evers. So they're having to run different operations. Like if somebody told me this week or last week, um, it's a different race now than it was in August. In August, they, they knew it would be three, four, maybe five candidates. But now we're talking like nine candidates, roughly, who are running legitimate campaigns and, and are being included in things like debates and forums. And it's just harder to raise money in that environment. So you have to adjust to the reality of nobody's broken away from the pack right now financially unless somebody is able to write a very big check, that's unlikely to change. And they're going to have to slog through fundraising to try and find every dollar they can from their operations. Now, one thing they got to worry about is at some point, these campaigns will need to get bigger to be prepared for the August primary. Will they have the resources to do that? And uh, how do they get there from now until the summer?
Also in the Wisconsin Supreme Court race, Milwaukee County Circuit Judge Rebecca Dollett released the first TV ad of a three-way primary election that will be held February 20th. It slammed President Trump for attacking our civil rights and our values, end quote. Dalit is trying to paint herself as a moderate. She's running against conservative Sauk County Judge Michael Skrenick and Madison Attorney Tim Burns, a liberal-leaning uh, leaning candidate. Is this a sign that the race is finally starting to heat up with only um, two weeks left until the primary? And might we see more ads, including from the other candidates, before the primary? Yeah, Judge Skrenick, um, he's got two radio spots. I think he's running now. Uh, Dalit is up on TV. He's on digital. I'm sure we'll see something from Burns before long. What typically happens in these races, uh, these primaries for Supreme Court, is that about a week to 10 days out or so, we see a flurry of ads from outside groups. Um, traditionally, it's been conservative groups helping the conservative candidate get through. That's Grunick in this race. So we're, you know, a little more than two weeks out, I believe, from tomorrow until the primary. I expect to see more on paid media. Um, it's interesting with Dalit, she's trying to run a campaign as a moderate, but she's also trying to appeal to the left of center voters and trying to make this argument that Tim Burns uh, doesn't have the qualifications for the court and kind of competing with him for moderate uh, left of center to liberal voters. It's going to be interesting to watch how that plays out because we've seen a three-way Supreme Court race before, primary before, where there was a clear conservative candidate, one trying to run more of a moderate campaign and one more as a progressive. And in that race, the moderate candidate got about 12% of the vote. So can Dalit change that dynamic? Because um, we're talking the base of the base turns out for both parties in a February primary. We're not talking like a big, huge race where casual voters are not. These are people really, truly engaged. So Burns' calculation is that he can get progressives who are really engaged, excited about his candidacy. He can possibly draw in people who don't normally vote in a February primary who are partisan um, or progressives to be involved. Will that work? I, I, I just don't know right now. It's going to be really fascinating to watch how that dynamic plays out. And oh, by the way, we've shown a, a preference in Wisconsin, voters have, for somebody having judicial experience where they make the jump from the Supreme Court. Burns isn't a judge. How will that play in this race as well? And will that hurt him in the primary? And in the race for U.S. Senate in Wisconsin, Republican candidate Kevin Nicholson says he would be open to bills restricting abortion, but ones that would provide exceptions for rape, incest, or to protect the life of the mother. That's different from his Republican rival Leah Vukmir's position, as she supports an abortion ban with no exceptions. The winner of the August primary will face incumbent Democrat Tammy Baldwin. Is this a major difference between the two GOP candidates, and how will that play out in the campaign? Well, it'll be interesting to watch how that plays out in the primary. Is that enough to motivate people one way or another? If you are a single-issue voter, the answer would be yes. If you're not, I'm not sure. I mean, remember that you know, Donald Trump won the Republican nomination. He does not have a long history of being anti-abortion and still won. Now, much different race, but I'm trying to illustrate that in talking to some folks in the last few days, there's a sense that maybe it's a different issue now than it was before. Is it going to be the driving issue in that primary? I am sure Leah Vukmer will play that up uh, to try and show her conservative credentials and can, you can question the authenticity of Kevin Nicholson's. But, you know, but talking to his folks... Uh, they didn't seem too worried about it, that there was not a lot there, but it just depends. How these groups get involved, um, how engaged are their members, do they really see that as a defining issue for these candidates? You know, Nicholson's already trying to push against this perception that he, these questions over when he really left the Democratic Party and became a Republican, you know, how authentic are his beliefs? 
He's talked about his conversion, about going to war, about having kids, but Lee Bookman has a longer track record here in Wisconsin, and that may play a role in how some of these anti-abortion groups feel about these candidates come primary time. Good to talk to you, JR. Anytime. That's wispolitics.com editor J.R. Ross. You can join us each week for our conversations. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to Capital Notes on iTunes, NPR One, or wherever you get your podcasts.